so the reason I got interested in social engineering and human hacking and human behavior in general was not only because I was doing the wiretapping, but because what I was hearing on the wiretaps was extremely interesting. He's the man. It's Jordan Harbinger, ladies and gentlemen. For those not familiar or those who'd like some reminding, Jordan is not only one of the world's leading podcasters, but he's also one of our best anecdotalists. In this podcast, he regales us with so many fascinating stories that I've had to split it into two separate episodes, each with a bonus episode for the patrons and Apple subscribers among you. You'll hear him talk about his experience living around the world, his childhood foray into wiretapping and spying on neighbours, and, in part two, being kidnapped, not once, but twice. That second part will air in a few weeks and also includes a lot of advice Jordan gives us about whether or not you should get into podcasting. His podcast, The Jordan Harbinger Show, is available in all the usual places. Its episodes get hundreds of thousands of listens and he's interviewed everyone from the late basketball hero Kobe Bryant and basketball cult hero and Kim Jong-un friend Dennis Rodman. And I, I should just say it's not a basketball podcast, it's an interview podcast, but it just so happens that those two big names I stumbled across were old basketball players. I don't know the first thing about the sport, but I know about Kobe Bryant and Dennis Rodman. Wait, let me finish that sentence. From them to actor Matthew McConaughey, all right, all right, all right, and philosopher and journalist Malcolm Gladwell, um, of whom I shan't do an impression. Of course, when pushed, he'd admit, Jordan would admit that is, his favourite guest was probably me. I was on there to talk about exorcism and whatnot just a few weeks ago, so do check out my episode on his show. Uh, it's a lot like mine, or sh I should say, mine's a lot like his. His has been going for many, many years, except his is a little more advice-laden, I would say. It's slightly more, uh, I guess it has a bit more of an entrepreneurial slant. Do check it out and follow Jordan Harbinger on Instagram and Twitter on at Jordan Harbinger. I'm on at AndrewGold underscore OK. Uh, please do come and say hello. Sign up to patreon.com slash AndrewGold to hear our fascinating bonus chat. There's so much to Jordan's story that we didn't even get time to touch on his experiences in North Korea. So we'll leave that for another time. But first, we do chat about the recent arrival of a new member of the Harbinger family. We discuss what it's like to have a new child with a living nanny from China and talk about how money can drive a wedge between you and your friends. I'm waiting for that to happen. If I ever get money, I think I'd be very awkward about it. It goes without saying that the success of Jordan's podcast, as well as other entrepreneurial endeavors, has taken his life to new financial heights. Uh, I didn't want to ask the exact details and, and quantities and things, although, to be honest, I don't think Jordan would have minded. He's a very open guy. But in any case, enjoy the tour de force that is Jordan Harbinger. Mate, congratulations. How are you mm. feeling? Pretty good. I mean, little. the thing is, I don't know, do you have kids? Uh, no, no, fortunately, in a way, because <laughs> I've still yeah. got my life. All my friends have got them and they're just like knackered, so tired all the time. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say that applies to me per se because we're really lucky. Like my my um, mother-in-law and father-in-law are both 15 minutes away. They come over literally every day, sometimes twice. Um, they've got our other child right now living with them for like three weeks because we can't be up at all hours playing with fire trucks when we've got a newborn, you know, like shit like that. Other parents don't have this. They're just like, yeah, we both work and we have a baby and daycare's closed and it's $3,000 a month or whatever, you know, fucking however much it costs. And um, then the kids are sick because they're in daycare and every other, and then the parents are sick on top of that, but then forget getting more than four hours of sleep a night because of, so it's just like a, a, a spiral that we have mostly managed to avoid. Not that we've never gotten sick, but like put the kid with the grandparents, take him out of school, no more sickness once he gets over this cold, have a baby. We hired this, this is all TMI, but whatever. We hired this... Uh, is more than you wanted to know. We hired this. So in Chinese culture, there's something called like a confinement period. And uh, have you heard about this? No, probably not, right? So basically when you have a kid, you're, the mom is not supposed to, she's supposed to spend five days in bed, five days around the bed, whatever that means, uh, and in bed, and then five days in the room and in bed. So 
15 days you don't even leave the room, hmm. which sucks. It's like yeah. prison. No showers, no baths, and you only eat food that has like a certain kind of, literally like a certain kind of chi factor, feng shui, whatever, you know, type uh-huh. deal, like food feng shui. I don't, you know, I, I don't know what I'm talking about, obviously, but... Um, <laughs> So, so that's what's going on right now. So this woman flies in from like Taiwan or China or LA as it were, and lives in your house. And that's who's here right what? now. So we have like a night nurse, nanny, cook, housekeeper, advisory person wow. who like, when my wife is like, I just need to like watch a movie and not deal with this because I'm going crazy that the woman's like, great, I'm going to go take the baby for like two hours and like walk around the house and sing and stuff. So... It's like five G's, and if but it's for a month for someone living in your house, cooking, cleaning, and taking care of the baby like every night or every day. Not bad, man. Pretty good deal. Man. Yeah, and you know, I mean, I was I was wondering because you're still working. Here you are, you're up and working yeah. and stuff. You've got this amazing thing going on. I'm gonna have to when I do have kids eventually. I'm gonna have to get in touch with you and see about this uh, this this I, get this lady over. I'm telling you, man, this is like a good deal. And I'm like, you know, white people should do this shit too. Forget the the one thing that's a downer is the chi food because it sucks. Like, I'm going to soundproof room so I can say, and she doesn't speak English that well. <laughs> I, I got to say, this is all off the record, right? This part. Oh, okay. You don't want this in it? <laughs> I don't know, man. I, I will. How do you okay, feel fine. about that? You tell me. I, I, I will. I will. On the record, the food isn't, isn't super good for my wife. But for me, it's fine because she can make whatever I want. Um, but for my wife, she's like, great. More sort of gruel with like egg shards in it that has no flavor because... For whatever, again, it's like a chi wives' tale thing. It's like you can only eat these types of foods. And I'm like, oh, I really like these and these and these. And the woman's like, okay, cool. And she cooks everything. So I'm like practicing my Chinese, eating really what I think is really good food. And my wife's like, this is, you got it made, dude. Like (laughs) you get to eat whatever you want and like order stuff from her and like get, you know, and chat in Chinese. And I'm like getting shooed back into the bedroom that, you know, at this point. It's kind of like a hot, stinky bedroom, you know? <laughs> Man, you need to have, like, you've got to keep having kids then to get this kind of service. I think you can just, I look, I think if you really ball out, like, if I sign an even bigger podcast deal in a couple of years, you know, maybe I'm just like, <laughs> you know what? This is a 24-7 job now. Like, you got to, I have, I'll build a little in-law unit next to my house, and then I'll just have somebody who lives there and, like, comes over and cooks breakfast, lunch, and dinner and does the dishes. And say, it can't be that much, right? If I got this 24-7 for five Gs a month, like, you know, I can I can negotiate a deal. Yeah. I wonder then if celebrities who are super rich, because they do have a lot of kids, don't they? I'm trying to think of uh, Angelina Jolie. Of course, she adopted a lot of them. And the Beckhams, right. they, got, they got a few, don't they? So I wonder if that's just quite uh, – maybe it's offensive to even say, but it's maybe it's relatively easy for them. I think – Honestly, I do think there's an element of this. Um, I don't think having kids is easy, easy for anyone unless you just ignore them. But I think of old British aristocracy, right? Where, and you read these stories where it's like they didn't even know, they saw their mom like four times a year or like once a month or something like that. And you you hear about it with like Vanderbilt type people too, where, yeah, my mother would be off in France for like the whole summer and I lived with Nan and whoever, which is like the butler and like some nanny person who raised all the kids. And that was like the real mom. And this other woman who came by like drunk every three months to like introduce the kid to her friends was like just some figure kind of off in the distance until the child was older and fired these two people. And then the kid like severe trauma ensues. And then they're like, "Ah, I guess that's my mom. And it's like this weird relationship. Like the queen, you know, doesn't see her kids for six months. And then they run to greet her and she's like, get them away from me. I have diplomatic duties to do. And they're just like, you know, screwed up Mm. from it. I was thinking about that recently because I find Prince Harry quite annoying. I know that splits opinion and stuff, but Harry and Meghan, it's not something that keeps me up at night, but I find it annoying the sort of moaning and complaining given the life that he's had and the start he's had and everything like that. Um, And it's particularly uh, grating for, I guess, self-made people or people who see themselves as self-made. And then Mm -hmm. he can just go and do a podcast and have a million listeners in a second. He can do whatever he wants and he's still complaining. Uh, But then I thought, (laughs) apart from being sort of, if you're not poor and a lot of people are poor so okay you don't want to be poor but if you're not poor there's not much worse than being born into that sort of royalty because nothing you ever do you can never move up can you no no you so what if you become a billionaire yourself everyone just goes oh so you're born on third base and you think you've hit a home run (laughs) right (laughs) so that's 
that's an American baseball analogy. Yes. That means you were given everything. <laughs> yeah, I realize now your audience is like, cool. What are you no, talking we say about? It. We you say do. home run. Well, we know we know enough. We've seen, you know, we get Seinfeld over here and okay. friends. So we know a, a home run, hit a home run. We even Fair. say third base or second base for the sort of sexy things. Although I, I Oh, yeah. You got you. that too? Yeah, yeah. I don't know which one's which, but it's all from American films and stuff. I, I don't think we should go into that on this episode. Um, <laughs> but but yes, it does exist. It is a thing, especially yeah. in like middle school and high school. Um, yeah. So you... You're born on third base, everyone, th- or not even, you're born one step from home plate, and then you're like a billionaire. Well, isn't your family already a bunch of billionaires? I, yeah. I can't yeah. imagine you struggled for seed capital for your crappy company that, you, you know, goes to. So unless you literally colonize Mars, no one even cares about any of your accomplishments. But God forbid you have a girlfriend that you're not getting along with or a secret arrangement with your wife to have an open marriage and you get caught even with the appearance of having lunch with somebody who's attractive that you've been friends with your whole life. And the tabloids are like, look at you're cheating on your wife, you know, or whatever it is. And then if you're a female, God forbid you gain 15 pounds when you're pregnant, because then it's like the, the rumor mill is flying and everyone's shaming you. And I, so I understand the complaining is a little bit sort of tired. I under, but also it's probably very, very, very legit. You know, like being tortured and, yeah, and bullied. You must be screwed up growing up. Like yeah, that. there's no way you come out a well-adjusted person. And also, his problems, especially to him, are very real. You know, like maybe we're like, cry me a river. But I would much rather be, let's say, this is going to sound really uh, ridiculous, but let's say, let's say I'd much rather be a doctor who makes like $400,000 a year and lives very, very comfortably and has my own practice doing cosmetic dentistry or whatever it is than be a royal family uh, member. Because, yeah, I, I would I would definitely trade the private jet, private royal yacht treatment for just being able to go on vacation or go to Chipotle, McDonald's, whatever, with my kids, Disneyland, with my, and not have it be like an international incident with diplomatic passports and bodyguards and paparazzi flying drones over my swimming pool. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, they say, don't they? I think it's something like, uh, fifty thousand dollars a year, or thirty thousand pounds, or something like that. That happiness rises and rises until you reach that kind of level, and then it sort right. of plateaus. Which, which sounds counterintuitive because everyone always wants more and more and more money. So I feel like I'd, I'd even just go for that. I'd rather have thirty or forty thousand pounds uh, than definitely than be a royal. Um, because yeah, you you can never grow. That's it. I've I've got the number here because that number has changed over time because I just quoted it and someone's like, yeah, in 1992 when they did that study, it it happens to be. And again, this is 2010 numbers. So maybe we round up five grand or something like that to account for inflation and whatnot. But it's seventy five thousand U.S. dollars. Um, so according to this study, someone who makes a hundred grand a year is not happier on a day to day level than somebody making seventy five grand. So let's even if we say, okay, that's 10, 11 years ago now, even if you throw it up and you you round up generously to $85,000, $90,000 a year, that means that above that, it doesn't really make that much of a difference. Oh, you don't like what I'm doing anymore? Or my, my field of study has been automated by whatever? I'm just going to retire. Oh, look, my lifestyle hasn't changed and doesn't need to change at all because I was making $5 million a year already. And so now I'm only making two and I literally, instead of dying with 50 million, I'm going to die with 25. Like that's kind of where those, those numbers plateau a, a but would little that, bit. Would that, you wouldn't, it wouldn't make, yeah, it wouldn't make me any happier. I certainly wouldn't feel, you, you need to always be, I feel like you need to be growing all the time. I definitely see the bit of like below 75. So, so I was uh, recently sort of on, I've, you know, I don't have a family, kids, I've got my own, I've got my parents, of course, but I mean, I don't have anyone to look after, no responsibilities, so I don't really need much money. But my girlfriend and I, because the podcast started earning a bit of money and all this stuff, we've moved into a place that has like an extra room. So I can be in this room and she's in the living room over there. And then we've got the bedroom and a kitchen. And it's very very basic like this place we're um, we're much happier because we're not like on each other all the time we're not as worried about putting the heating on staying warm just the most basic basic human things and i think that's why it gets once you're at seventy thousand or a hundred thousand or whatever that's when you're like okay got those things sorted providing mm-hmm. you don't have like six kids or whatever and you're sending them all to private school or whatever <laughs> that's you know? true yeah and it's it I, I felt like a real a-hole the other day because i was getting a haircut and my barber mm, lovely, was lovely like, haircut. thank you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is a, uh, the other day was a few weeks ago. This is not okay. quite as fresh as it, as it, it was once was. It, 
No. (laughs) In fact, not at all. Um, So my barber was like, hey, where where are you sending your kid to school? Because I sent my kid, who's now two and a half, to school relatively early because he's he just we saw he was very social. We wanted him to learn Chinese because my wife's family is, is from that side as per our previous conversation. And my barber had a kid. He's about the same age. I think he's a few days apart. And he goes, oh, where are you sending him? Maybe we'll send him to the same place. And I said, oh, it's this bilingual school. You know, and he's like, oh, that's great. I'd love for him to learn Spanish. I was like, well, this is Chinese. And he's like, oh, that's okay. That makes sense. But I guess it's more useful. And then he's like, how much is it? And I was like, I don't know. So I, t- I call my wife on speaker. This is a mistake. And I was like, hey, how much is it to send uh, Jaden to school? And she's like, uh, well, with the diaper fee and with this, I don't know. It's like $1,800 a month. And my barber was like, it just got really awkward. And I was like, oh, we look like a- we look like jerks right now for doing that. Because there's a good chance that the person who is cutting my hair makes just over that or makes like $3,000 a month or really if he there if he owns the place and it's doing well $4,000 a month there's no chance and there's not a snowball's chance in hell he's going to pay that much for some bilingual kindergarten preschool whatever it is not even kindergarten yet and I was like oh yeah this is where my privilege is like just shooting out of every pore and he's like this get this freaking guy yeah, you've you got know. to hide it. You've got to start hiding it. And that's an awkward thing because then then you're yeah. li- then if they find out afterwards, then it's like you've been sneaky and not said it. So I don't really know what you're supposed to do in that. Wealth really creates divides in that sense, especially like among yeah. friends. I, I remember seeing it like in my parents' generation, certain of them were maybe earning more than others of them. And it would be, it would be difficult because some of them want to go and enjoy their wealth and go to places that are very expensive. And some are like, well, I can't afford to go and do that. And then those right. guys go anyway with their friends and then that one's left out. It's really really weird how like when you're 20 it's all about like hey i don't care about money i just want to pursue content making and my own dreams Mm -hmm. and you get older and like that's that's maybe not realistic and it's a shame i find that very sad but i don't know what what the answer is to that yeah i don't know what the answer is either i will say i was very open-minded in my 20s as i'm sure you noticed in doing a little bit of background on my my history and so i have friends who like are former like bike gang guys maybe not even former and they live in the middle of nowhere like probably i don't even know what they do honestly they're like doing stuff that former biker gangs are not former <laughs> and and like other guys i know are like oh yeah i'm a combat journalist now which is so interesting but also not super lucrative and they're like bouncing from rwanda to bosnia to wherever there's sort of or like sierra leone or wherever there's like armed conflicts or like brewing stuff to be on the edge of this and it's so interesting and i love it because it it adds color to my life but then when they get like they'll get like an injury and it's like well my insurance doesn't cover it because i got injured in uh lesotho and so now i need like to pay back this airlift that got me to south africa and that was 30 grand and so i'm doing a gofundme and i'm like donate because i what you know i'm gonna look like a real jerk because on Facebook, I recently signed this big deal with my podcast with the Jordan Harbinger show on a network called Podcast One, and it made the news. Congratulations! In the int- thank you, it it made the news in the industry. So you know, I normally don't share this kind of thing, but this was a very big deal in my life, so I shared it on sure. social media, and the my network shared it. So a lot and tagged me. So a lot of people were like, "Wow, congrats!" So I can't be like, "Look at this, I'm doing really well." And the guy's like, "I have a medical emergency," and I'm like, "Well, <laughs> yeah. that sucks. Guess you should have had yeah. better insurance in America, which doesn't exist." You know, yeah. like, it's so awkward though isn't it because it does change the friendship very slightly and it may it changes that dynamic even if it's slight and you can try all you want both of you and it's, it's goodwill on both sides it's not like one of you's being a dick in any way it's just like that dynamic is now slightly altered for pr- possibly forever now and i don't know i don't know how one gets around that yeah you know it's it's been something i struggle with my best friend growing up we're still really tight like siblings and his sister also really tight like like sibs and we have kids all around the same age. And we're like, let's, when the pandemic is over, plan a trip to Disneyland. And they're like, yeah, great. And I know this is going to be a thing because my friends who want to go to Disneyland uh, that are like business owners like me, they go, oh, there's this thing where you do like a VIP thing and it's like $300 an hour, but it's up to 10 people. And they take you in this private little trolley thing and they drive you around and you skip all the lines. And then they've got like food cooked for you at a nice place and you get a view of the whole park. And it, da, da, da. And I think the minimum spend is like five G's or something. And I'm like, yeah, let's, let's definitely do that and I'll pay for it and I'll invite everyone. And I was like, that'll get rid of the money thing because I can't be like, hey, chip in two grand more than you were going to spend on a $300 vacation. Like they're just never going to do it. And if I pay for it, I'm like, oh, that solves the problem. And my wife was like, no, you idiot. It doesn't solve the problem. It just like makes a different problem because 
these these friends are probably just going to go, hey, Jordan, thank you. Really appreciate it. And they're going to, you know, it's maybe not going to change anything because we've known each other literally since they were like three and five years old. But it does it does put a, it makes a weird hierarchy where it's like, well, Jordan paid for everything. So, like, are we sort of on his vacation? What's going and I'm dreading that. And I only hope that they're not even thinking about it. But for me, I I lose a little bit of sleep over it because it's like being more generous sounds good. But then are you then it's like, well, you can't do it so much that you look like you're showing off, even though all you want is for our kids to have a good time and for me to treat my friends. And like we, my buddy, same buddy wanted to go to Guns and Roses, which, you know, should definitely happen. Pandemic hit. But I was like, I'm just going to buy front row seats for everybody because I don't care. Like it's like it was like 400 bucks or something. And I was like, I'll just buy these tickets. And then yeah. they're gonna go. Oh, how much were these? And you can't be like, I'm not telling. Don't worry about it, because the freaking amount is on the front of the ticket, right? So <laughs> you can't go. Oh yeah, my friend hooked it up. It, no, you didn't. These say four hundred and fifty dollars with fees. Like, what are you talking about? So you, I, I'm not saying this to brag. I'm saying it to to affirm your point, which is there's no way around it. Like, if you want to be more generous, you have to then toe the line between. Oh, is this person just showing off? And then that means you have to like evaluate other people's level of security or insecurity <laughs> and that of their spouse because while my friend might be like jordan's really nice he's always been generous love the guy the spouse might be like well tch, that's not how it seems to me it seems like he's really rubbing it in your face and then it's like the, they're fighting over should they even have come to this and i don't want to think about that i i much more want to be uh for me money has never been important um it's not important now it wasn't important when i was younger it's great for stability but I really can get behind the idea behind that study, which is I am no happier now with X dollars than I was with 10% of X. And I also don't need all of it. So I end up investing it and donating a bunch of it, which is which feels good, but doesn't raise my level of happiness that much um, because I don't really pay that much attention to it, I guess. But other people who, who are in a tighter spot, like my buddy worked in the movie industry and got shut down for a while, they were borrowing money from his parents. And I'm like, the last thing I want to do is be like, hey, man, do you need some money? Because then it's like, well, F you, Jordan. Yes, but not from you, you punk. You know, <laughs> Or like, yes, and I would take it, but also my wife doesn't want to do that because the next time we're at dinner, it's like, what are we, your charity case? Now you're going to pick up the tab here too. So it's a w very weird dynamic, and it, it doesn't surprise me at all that you can easily mishandle this type of situation and actually push your friends away by being generous. You almost have to, in America especially, for whatever reason, we like to pretend there's no uh, upper class. And it's an illusion and it's a lie. But if you do this wrong, you will ruin all of your relationships. You know, you will you will lose your friends if you are not able to maintain the fiction that we're all middle class the poor the poor ones and the rich ones in the same room in the same car all have to pretend that they're at this middle level maybe one stratum higher than the other and that's not possible when somebody busts out a flip phone that has a cracked screen and the other person's like oh aren't the photos on the iphone 13 plus max ginormo so good oh sorry sorry tom who has a black and white screen with the snake on it but can't see the thing because it's a nokia from 1999 like you, you know oh you have to go to work where do you work oh target at four o'clock in the morning oh okay man uh guess we won't see you at brunch tomorrow you know it's weird and, and you can ruin it by just existing it's like a full-time job to manage this so of course you don't hang out with those people as much anymore it's not snobbery it's you can't even relax them with you and and you with them because you're constantly managing it you know, the the people with less money are trying to hide it, and the people with a lot of money are trying to hide it. doesn't make any sense to me, but that's how it is. A few decades ago, private citizens used to be largely that. Private. What's changed? The internet. Think about everything you've browsed, searched for, watched or tweeted. Now imagine all of that data being crawled through, collected and aggregated by third parties into a permanent public record. Your record. Having your private life exposed for others to see was once something only celebrities worried about, but in an era where everyone is online, everyone is a public figure. 
To keep my data private when I go online, I turn to ExpressVPN. Did you know there are hundreds of data brokers out there whose sole business is to buy and sell your data? The worst part is they don't have to tell you who they're selling it to or get your consent. One of these data points is your IP address. Data harvesters use your IP to uniquely identify you and your location. But with ExpressVPN, my connection gets rerouted through an encrypted server and my IP address is masked. Every time I turn ExpressVPN on, I'm given a random IP address shared by other ExpressVPN customers. That makes it more difficult for third parties to identify me and harvest my data. And the best part is how easy ExpressVPN is to use. No matter what device you're on, phone, laptop or smart TV, all you have to do is tap one button to get protected. So if, like me, you believe that your data is your business, secure yourself with the number one rated VPN on the market. Visit expressvpn.com slash heretics and get three extra months for free. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash heretics. Go to expressvpn.com slash heretics to learn more. Hey, it's Andrew. If you're enjoying Heretics, there's another podcast I want to recommend to you, especially if climate change, global conflicts and an upcoming election are making you feel like we're on the brink of disaster. What Could Go Right is hosted by Progress Network founder Zachary Carabell and executive director Emma Varvalukas. On What Could Go Right, the hosts sit down with expert guests to discuss the world's most pressing issues without resorting to pessimism or despair that we hear so often. Instead, they look back at how far society has come and look forward at what it will take to achieve an even brighter future. Is progress on the way? They may not have all the answers, but on What Could Go Right, they're asking the key questions. Tune in to hear interviews with upcoming guests like writer Coleman Hughes, CNN host Fareed Zakaria, and economist Alison Schrager. If you're looking for a weekly dose of optimistic ideas from smart people, join them every Wednesday on What Could Go Right, available wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I think we're obsessed with class in, in the UK in a, in a different way. We're just so obsessed with like who's and what class. And it doesn't always relate yeah. to money, of course. There's like nouveau riche, you know, the people who don't have that uh, heritage perhaps, but they've got the they've got now got the money and they don't act in ways that appease the ones who were already rich. And there's all this kind of things with accents. The accents, are, I know you have that in the US to an extent, but I think in the UK it's even more pronounced. The you guys have accents. it way more, way more. Oh, with, like, the, with the class, yeah. In, in the United States, there's only a few accents that people can discern anyway. It's like, you know, up, upstate, whatever, New York, New York, uh, and then the, which sounds kind of like Brooklyn-y, right? And then that's considered maybe somewhat lower class, but it's also really cool because it's been made famous in movies from mafia movies all the way to Wall Street movies. And then there's a Southern accent, which of, of which there are a lot, but for most people, it just sounds Southern and it can sound a little bit rednecky. So people will hide it even if they're like billionaire oil men or oil family they'll still what about, hide it what about when it's that sort of old uh oil rich person that's like i yeah. do declare that's quite a right maybe so it doesn't exist anymore it it <laughs> sort of if i can imagine it does with like really old guys or, or really old you know women that fan themselves with those like paper fans <laughs> yeah. and drink iced tea uh, on a porch right. somewhere uh, daughters of the confederate revolution or whatever it's called those people exist in there like a class it's a class thing but it's it's less known. Like if I walk into a place and somebody has a southern accent, I might just be like, wow, that sounds really cool. I'm not thinking this person probably lives in a log cabin. Maybe I would have a few generations ago thought that. But it's so rare now that you really don't even notice it. In West Coast versus East Coast accents, you don't even really notice it. Yankee accent, whatever, Midwest accent. It's so it's so hard to discern that people really don't think about it. I Even foreign accents now it sort of depends. Like if it's a really smooth sounding accent, it's really cool and sexy, you know, Australian or French or, or British or something like that. It's an advantage. But I think if you come and you've got like a Vietnamese or Filipino accent, we might think, oh, wow, that's not a great accent. And it has nothing to do with class stuff. I think it's just how we how it falls on the ear, but it will affect how people perceive you. 
and mm. I see it all that the time. Be, that could be class, though, couldn't it? Because it kind of ends be, up being yeah. class, right? Because yeah. you know, oh, that's a cool European accent. Well, it's Australian. Eh, whatever. What's the difference, right? <laughs> People can't even tell UK versus Australia half the time in the United States. But if you have in maybe a Spanish accent, Filipino accent, Vietnamese accent, nobody's like that person's probably rich and has uh, boats that they sail on. No, no, no. But if you come in and you're British, even if you have like, what's like a, is it Exeter or not Exeter? Um, Essex, 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 which is like the Detroit, right, of, of the UK in a lot of ways. You could come yeah. in with one of those and people are like, he just sounds so smart. He sounds like a professor. <laughs> Meanwhile, if a person from the UK is like, nope, he sounds like the guy who <laughs> is like throwing beer kegs over a fence on weekends yeah. as a, some sort of sport. You know, it's a, this sounds like a guy who shoots cans off a fence. <laughs> It's really, well, yeah, except that we don't have guns, in it, or we're not supposed to have guns anyway. True. Obviously, some people do. But I mean, yeah, I, I remember when I was like, uh, I was aware of class from the age of about like eight or something. And I remember my, my dad took me to these soccer football games, you know, and uh, he couldn't get me a seat next to him. So I was a few seats down and I was sat with all these guys. And my dad said to these guys, like, this is Andrew, um, you know, make him welcome, please. And they were, they were all uh, more working class, or their accents were at least, than mine. And even though I was like eight, my dad went off and I remember looking up and I then I affected an accent in order to not look like I, I was from a, a middle class kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So I was like, all right, lads, how's it going? Yeah, big game yeah. today. I almost had like a cigarette in my mouth, you know, doing a whole, you're right, lads. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not that all working class people smoke cigarettes, but. Especially you know. when they're eight years old. <laughs> but yeah, you never problem, know. I mean, look, those was, coal mining towns, man, they get them started early. <laughs> Well, exactly. And I, well, the problem was like, but you know, by the time, as I got older, I realized how stupid this was, you know, and I got to like 13, 14, and I'm still going every week or every other week to these games. And it's like, you know, every now and then my dad would come over and I couldn't speak then because I couldn't let him hear that I was doing this fake accent. Who's your father? What's going on? And I was just like, I, I, very gradually, it took about 10 years, very gradually speaking more and more the way I actually speak. And then nobody noticed. Or they did. I mean, they're not going to say anything, are they? So, um, but that's the thing. I haven't asked you. We've done loads. I haven't asked you anything about you. We've just been talking about nonsense. Right. Tell me. It's interesting (laughs) to me. I don't know. Your listeners are probably like, this Jordan guy is so frigging boring. He has no life. They just talked about money. Most of my listeners are your listeners because I was on your podcast and they all now listen to this. That's good. So they, they love you anyway. You're at home here. Tell me, right, so I want to talk about your podcast, but first I want listeners, the very tiny percentage of them who are not initially from your podcast, to know a bit about why you're an on-the-edge kind of person. I mean, your your upbringing, I mean, your younger years are are insane. Um, Tell me about like growing up, wiretapping phones and that kind of thing. Yeah, so when I was younger, I was a a lonely, nerdy kind of kid. And I had a lot of, I guess now you would say it's social anxiety. And thank God it all went away because it was miserable. And I look, 2020 hindsight, I think a lot of kids had this, especially in middle school. I was just convinced that people were like looking at me and making fun of me. And some of it was true, but usually it wasn't. And it was just like a hyper focus on the self and there was a lot of stress in my household. My parents were great, but like my father was really sick. My mom's brother was like a heroin addict and stealing from my grandma who was like in denial about it. And my dad was working all the time and he was kind of a workaholic, great, great guy and a good dad, but like working all the time. So not always there to sort of moderate it. And then my mom would have all these problems with her side of the family. My dad is like not, he's a good worker, but he's a a very engineer brain kind of guy. So it's like, well, if you're not going to solve the goddamn problem, then quit whining about it. You know, he's like one of those guys. And so my mom would like have no real support because he either wasn't there or was like, I'm too tired to deal with this shit. I don't know if I can say this on your show, but there it is. So I was like, well, this is miserable. And so school was also miserable. And I decided I finally had bugged my parents enough. They got me a computer and computers at this point, 1993, 94. I think they all came with like a, a modem, 2400 baud, 9600 baud, whatever it was, modem. And I was like, Okay, the world, once I found bulletin board systems, the world was, my world went from tiny Troy, Michigan, not small town, but not big city, you know, no car, ride your bike 10 minutes away, there's one store and the rest is suburbs too. So I'm talking to hackers that live in Israel right now that are stealing from a guy who lives in Russia right now, who's helping move illegally stolen phones from somewhere in the New York area, and they're all talking about this in Internet Relay Chat, which is like an OG sort of chat platform. 
more or less open and I'm just in this channel as a 13 year old kid. And I'm like, Hey, uh, couldn't help but notice you guys are up to something here. And I, they'd be sharing knowledge on how to program the phones and take out the old serial numbers. And so I got really, really interested in a lot of this phone. We called it freaking with a pH, like phone hacking type stuff. And I learned about how the green boxes on the sides of the roads work in the United States, which is where there's all these line pairs, which are like screw pairs that have landline phones in them. And they're exactly what they sound like. You open up these green boxes, you need a special wrench, not that hard to find slash make. You open up these green boxes and there's maybe like, I don't know, a few hundred pairs of lines in there and they're for all the people in the neighborhood. And everybody's landline phone, which is all that really existed in the early 90s, except for the occasional cell phone user, had these line pairs. And I, one day, I uh, borrowed, you know, I was probably 13 years old, 14 years old, I was riding a bike, I, I drove by a, an Ameritech phone company truck and I opened up one of the doors on the side of the utility truck and there was an orange lineman's handset and I grabbed it and my friend was like, what are you doing? And I was like, these let you listen to the phone calls, we'll just return it later. No, it never happened, obviously. And I opened up these boxes and I was just listening to phone calls. And I started building little things like FM transmitters that would transmit audio. Th these are kits, I didn't invent this. Th that would transmit the audio that was plugged in to a radio. So I would plug these things into the line pairs and I could listen to like that phone line on a dead radio station in my house all the time. Anybody could have done that, but I lived really close to these green boxes. So the range limiting thing was a factor. This person was unlikely to hear that their phone calls were all broadcasted over the radio or that there was a kid sitting next to the green box. And, you know, cops would even roll by and I'd either run away or I'd be, they'd be like, what are you doing? And I'm like, oh, the lineman is like on a break and he just left this here and I'm just looking at what's in there. I'm not touching anything. And he'd be like, all right, whatever. The last thing he was thinking was, so this 13 year old kid opened up this junction or this uh, green box and stole his handset and his wiretapping. He was just like, I guess the lineman opened that because this kid certainly didn't. That wouldn't yeah. make sense. He's just what a kid with a BMX bike. Did you hear anything that was sort of like you weren't supposed to have heard at that age? Yeah, that's a really good point. So the reason I got interested in social engineering and human hacking and human behavior in general was not only because I was doing the wiretapping, but because what I was hearing on the wiretaps was extremely interesting. So I would hear uh, conversations with people that were, like there was one in particular where a guy was getting a divorce and he would talk to his sister and his sister would be like, oh, you know, I'm sorry, but why don't you do this? And he'd be like kind of crying about it. But then he'd talk to his friends and he'd be like, yeah, whatever. She's she's going to be an F and B then. I don't even give a shit. <laughs> you know, like a tough guy. And then he'd call his mom and he'd like start crying. And then he'd call his ex and he'd be like all aggressive, but like kind of just posturing. And I'm like, if this guy rolled all these weird multiple personalities into one and was crying on the phone with his soon-to-be ex and being as vulnerable with her as he was with his mom and sister, he probably wouldn't be in this situation. And that was a weird insight, kind of a kind of an intense insight for a 13, 14-year-old kid to have. Because up until that point, and I think you might agree, adults, when you're that age, adults are not complex figures with their own emotions and problems they're just like these sort of monolithic people that either yell at you, give you homework, feed you, drive you places. I vaguely was aware that my mom was having problems with her brother and my grandma was a pain, but like you don't see your parents cry. If you live in a healthy household, you probably don't see your parents crying or like oversharing. You don't hear about their personal love life issues. Your parents have a relationship that you assume Every other kid has the same relationship with their parents, right? And that's just how parents are. So I got a three-dimensional view of another adult, of an adult that wasn't a parent for the first time probably in my life at a very early age. And usually when people get this glimpse into an instability in adults, it's in their own parents and it messes them up. I was merely a spectator into someone else's world. So I didn't deal with, I wasn't like being traumatized by this guy's divorce, but I still had quite the front row seat. In, in in like unadulterated conversation, uh, it was a I was, a, I was a, not a participant, but a, a spectator or a, a an audio spectator to these conversations, like right on the do, front lines. Do you think that that sort of helped make you a podcaster, or do you think the fact that you did that is is you you know the podcaster in you is why you did the wiretapping? 
I think it was probably the podcaster in me because I will tell you the one of the reasons I got into FM wireless transmitters was I was like, wouldn't it be cool if I could talk to the whole neighborhood? I could have like a little news talk show <laughs> in the neighborhood where I talked about things that were going on and all my friends could listen to it on the radio. And I, that dream was quickly demolished when I found that FM radio transmitters that are, you know, as big as a uh, Coca-Cola can in, but half, you know, a third of the size, those things, they go about, I don't know, 50 feet. So let's say they go 30, 30 meters like at most. They probably don't even go that far. There goes your idea of being the neighborhood DJ, right? So I go to Radio Shack, which is like this electronic store that doesn't exist anymore. And they sold parts and things like that and kits for this stuff. And I would ask the guys that worked there who were not just at that point in the 90s, they knew a lot about this stuff. They weren't just like minimum wage sort of employees. These are guys that would like build complex electronic devices as hobbies and they worked at Radio Shack. And I was like, how do I make this thing more powerful? And they're like, you need a high gain antenna, which is like, if you grew up in the 80s or 90s, these antennas were, at least in the United States, really long, really tall, and they had wires that would go outwards like this and they'd make like a diamond pattern or something like that. And, and old people probably still have them on top of their homes to get... TV that's not digital, which may or may not exist in your area these days. And I was like, great, I want one of those. And my parents were like, we're not putting that on a house. We don't need that. And the Radio Shack guy was like, let me stop you right there. Uh, that's super illegal. The FCC, Federal Communications Commission, they regulate this stuff. You need a broadcast license to broadcast more than like 100 feet or 300 feet or whatever it is. If you put this on your house and you hook this up, you are going to eventually get caught. And the fines are probably like, you know, 10 grand or a thousand dollars, whatever it was that this is a real offense. It's called a pirate radio station. You don't want to have it running from your house and you don't want to wow. do it at all, especially when you're 14, 13 years old. So yeah. that dream was dispelled. Is that the, um, the FCC from that Eminem song? If the FCC won't let me be, let me, let be. me be me. No, no, no. Yeah. Yeah. That's the same FCC. They regulate anything that goes across the radio and broadcasting. So that's why you can't say sh shit on the radio or you're not supposed to. But we can in a podcast because it's not regulated by the FCC, and neither is satellite radio. There was that Columbine bit that was that was censored that Eminem talked about. That was a big thing for him. I don't remember what that is. Mm, the Columbine shooting. The school yeah, season. I know what that is. Of course. Oh yeah. yeah. He he said something like get seven kids from Columbine, put them in line and shoot them or something like that and it all got censored and he got very upset about it it's funny I, you know as i was 11 years old listening to eminem and all these swearing and weird american references i had no idea i'm just singing along the most horrible things just out loud in my family house and stuff but but anyway yeah. continue do continue the story about your your venture into being an illegal yeah pirate radio uh, criminal at 13 <laughs> yeah so so these are what i would consider fairly harmless crimes right like if i hook up a a wiretapping thing is an invasion of privacy. And as an adult now, I'm like, I w certainly wouldn't want some kid listening in on my conversations, but also it doesn't really damage me. So I don't really have a lot of guilt about it. It's not like I went around blasting this guy's identity and information across anywhere. You know, it's it's 30 years almost later and I'm talking about it and I'm still not giving out his name. Not that I even remember his name, but there were countless examples of me getting in on conversations like that and then talking to hackers on, uh, we used to call them, like they weren't, what were they called? Conf calls. We call them the conf, right? It's like a party line where you would find a voicemail that was used by, or a conference line that was used by a corporation. You'd use the default password. You'd invite everybody in the IRC, the internet relay chat channel to join. And guys would dial in from all over the world. And like, it would get billed to IBM or something. And we'd stay on for like six hours chatting and talking just like a chat room. But people would be chatting back and forth and it was it was pretty interesting because you'd hear all these accents and remember in the early 90s as a kid you're not talking with israeli hackers british hackers irish hackers you're not even talking with anybody outside your school let alone people from other countries and guys would mostly be screwing around but they'd be saying stuff like hey does anybody have the new doom or whatever like the latest game was yeah all right it's up on the ftp site which is a file sharing site um okay cool what are the creds what are the credentials so you'd be like logging in on one phone line and then you'd be able to download the newest thing that was like pirated software and then guys would be like hey does anybody know where i can get three bag phones that are untraceable these are like giant old school cell phones and some guy would be like yeah i've got three they're in new york i can ship them out they're in you know i got them right now 
Uh, but there was no way to transfer money at that time. So it would be like, okay, I'm going to send you a money order, you know, or I'm going to mail you an envelope full of cash or whatever to this address. You know, it was crazy, like, not quite Silk Road, if you're familiar with that sort of underground marketplace. But there was definitely, like, shady, shady stuff going on. And a bunch of those guys later got busted by the FBI. And I was on uh, one of those conference calls when a guy got a knock at the door and was like, it was clearly his house was like being raided by the police and everyone hung up really, really fast. And we were all really scared for a really long time. And the guy came back on later and like wouldn't talk about it and kept being like, hey, does anybody know where I can get stolen merchandise? And everyone's <laughs> like, narc, you know, like he's a oh narc. He's trying to get us in trouble. You know, he's for sure a narc. And like these guys would get busted. And, and I got kind of scared, but I was also like, these people don't know who I am. They can never find me. Because I was routing myself through all these different servers in the chat. And, and it was like the police weren't going to find me. And I wasn't doing anything, in my opinion. <laughs> it's still pretty crazy stuff for a kid back then to be doing. And then, so tell me how, so this, this I suppose, desire or obsession to hear what people are like when they're not talking to you, when they're talking to other right. people. How did that lead to you pretending to be a young girl on the internet? Oh, yeah. So surprise, surprise. That sounds so creepy without any sort of background. So let me qualify this. Sorry. Yes. We yeah. need context. So I started working for a security company because I worked. So I worked at a movie theater. It was owned by the owner of the Detroit Red Wings, which is a hockey team. Very popular sport in the United States. He was very paranoid, probably rightfully so. He was a billionaire and everyone knew him as a very paranoid guy. And he had a private investigator that worked like only for him. And that guy started doing security at the theater. He would be showing me all these cool moves in the back hallways and stuff. And he was like, you should meet this other person that teaches me all these moves. Come to Detroit. And I'm like, Detroit, that's scary, you know. But he invited me to this like martial arts, not dojo, but like a security place. And all these guys were being trained on stuff that I had never seen. You know, I was doing like, hiya, each knee, sons, she. And this this place was like, here's how you take a gun away from somebody when they're pointing it at your head. And I was like, this is so much more real than anything I've ever seen. And I was like, why, why are you guys doing this? And like, we work security for real stuff. We work at real clubs, we work with real celebrities like Ice Cube and stuff like that. So they need like, they need actual real street stuff. They're not doing barefoot kicks and breaking boards. These guys were like gun disarms, knife disarms, evasive driving. It was a bodyguard school, essentially, for uh, for a security staffing company. And I was like, I want to come here and learn all this stuff. And they're like, no, you're 16, 17. We don't need you around. What are you going to do? And eventually I was like, hey, you know what would be cool? You guys need a website. And they're like, yeah, yeah, that would be cool. Uh, we've heard of these. And I'm like, I can make one for you. So I downloaded, you know, Dreamweaver or whatever, and I started making them a website. And they're like, okay, how much is this going to cost? And I was like, just train me. I don't care. I'll do it for free. I'll maintain it. Just train me. So they started teaching me all this stuff. And then, so I became the driver because I had a clean driving record. And if I got pulled over, it was like, okay, what are these guys doing? Oh, I'm just driving them to work. They're friends of mine. I'm just driving them to work. All right, whatever. And that was my introduction to like real sort of security uh, dark side, dark side martial arts, but also like real life, you know, so I saw people like really getting beat up and getting stabbed and stuff. And I'd be like, oh, okay, this is like street shit. Wow. You, you had another part to this question, but I realized I totally got lost in the story and I'm, I'm not sure if I've answered it or not. <laughs> it's all fascinating. Um, it was about, um, how you, well, it was how you stopped pedophiles in a sense, wasn't it? And right. Oh yes. Them. So at the security company, the guys were all older than me. You know, they were like in their 30s, sometimes 40s, and I'm 16, 17 years old. And so they'd be talking about women and dating and sex. And they're like, what's up with you, man? What's up with you? And of course, nothing was up with me. You know, I'm like a nerdy guy from the suburbs. I don't have girls that I'm going out with to the club. What club? I don't have any money. Who did at 16? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, some of those guys probably did. They were chasing girls. But I'd be like, I don't know. I'm talking to girls on AOL, America Online. And they'd be like, oh, okay, you meet girls on the internet? And they would they were curious about that because they would meet girls like at clubs that they were working at and like get their phone number and then call and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, I meet girls on the internet. And it was not going well, as one might imagine, from AOL Instant Messenger. So I decided to show them some of the tr chat tra transcripts of my chats. And we would have a good laugh because sometimes like I would get taken for a ride or I'd be like messing with people online. And then one time, uh, one of the guys was like, you know what you should do? 
you're not getting a lot of replies to your messages. What you should do is find out what other guys are sending these women. And if you, if you do that, then you can be different than them. And women love different guys. So I was like, okay, cool. So I made an account that was very girly sounding name thinking if I'm obviously a girl, then people will send me like what we would say is like an opening line. And I'll be able, if it, I'll get good ones because I'll have ones that are really clever that work or whatever, the magic words. And I'll see all the lame ones that are like, hey, what's up? And I'll be able to be like, okay, these are not working. You know, ignore these. Don't do the same thing because everybody else is doing it. Well, that was great. And I got a bunch of really clever opening lines, I'm sure. But then I started to also get guys that were like, hey, you want to do a photo shoot? I'm a photographer. I help models get famous. And I'm like, look at this loser. He's like 37. My profile says I'm 16 years old, like this loser is like going after me. And I printed out the chat transcripts like I almost always did, brought them to work. And I was like, let's have a laugh about this loser. And my boss and some of the other guys were like looking at each other awkwardly. And my boss finally was like, yo, this is not just some loser. This is a criminal predator. I'm like, what are you talking about? And, and he's like, if you're 37, would you go after a 16 year old girl? And I'm like, no. And he's like, you're six, uh, 17 right now, would you go after an 11-year-old girl? And I'm like, no, that's disgusting. And he's like, that's what, because you're normal. This guy's not normal. This guy should be looking at a girl that, that is supposedly your age, and he should be turned off by it, not telling you to leave your parents' house secretly and go to some hotel to do a photo shoot. This guy is not obviously a photographer that makes models famous. He would have an agency. He's on AOL. Like, this is a yeah. pedophile. And I was like, oh, like, it never occurred to me. I was a kid. I wasn't I had no exposure to this. So he called the cops. The cops were like, yeah, we can't do anything because it's on the internet. And then he's like, all right, well, this is a matter for the FBI. So he called connections at the FBI. And they were like, well, our cyber crime division is in D.C., but go ahead and fax me these transcripts. And we're like, okay. So I fax him the transcripts. And he's like, he calls us right away minutes later and goes, these are really bad. These are bad. This is a, this is a predator. There's definitely something here. Uh, okay, I'm calling DC. We're going to get on top of this and call AOL. And he had a lot of trouble getting a hold of him. He goes, in the meantime, send me any more chats that you get like this. And I, so I started, it was exciting for me. So I started to just go online all the time and basically just chat with these uh, older guys posing as a teenage girl. And there were dozens and dozens and dozens of them. And I kept faxing them to Agent Forrester over at the FBI in Detroit. And he would be alarmed every time. And he started working with DC and he's like, okay, we need you to help make a handoff to an agent who's going to pick up these chats. And, you know, we also want to get these guys in our jurisdiction for sure. And the only way to do this for sure, like foolproof, we need them to cross state lines because the way that the legal system works in the United States, FBI probably has jurisdiction over um, any multi-state crime. But what if this guy's in the same geographic area, but the AOL servers are in Virginia? Is there a question of standing of, of jurisdiction? They don't want to run into that problem. So what they do is they get the perp, the, the criminal, to cross state lines to, to actually commit the crime. And that's 100% FBI federal jurisdiction. So I started working with them, with him especially, to lure these guys to Toledo, Ohio from Michigan and they would go to like a, a holiday inn basically in Toledo, Ohio, where local police and uh, ostensibly FBI, I wasn't there obviously, but would be waiting for them. And they would go there with, you know, and they'd have all the chats. And it's like the guy's going there to meet a 15 year old girl and they would arrest him. And then they just kept doing it and doing it. And they, I would talk to them and tell them what I'm doing and send them the chats. And this became like a playbook for at least one or two of the agents in DC and Detroit to like catch pedophiles in the 90s. And that for me was exciting because I felt kind of like a hero, but it also was really scary uh, because it would be, you'd go on for like an hour and you get 12 of these guys hitting on you and you're like, oh, it, it quickly became apparent that there are literally thousands of these guys just in Michigan alone. It's it's very <laughs> creepy and awful. And it was right at the dawn of the internet as well, wasn't it? So it's just so yeah. bizarre. People didn't know about that and what to do about it. Well, so you were you were. It was definitely a sixteen-year-old because in the UK, that's that wouldn't be a crime. It would be something that would probably have you ostracized from your community. But sixteen, I think, is the minimum the age of consent in the UK. So yeah, I assume if, it's eighteen. Um, you know, I yeah, I I, I think it depends state to state it also mm. depends if like if you're 17 and your girlfriend is 15 
Some states that's a crime, some states it's not. But if you're 37 and the girl is 15 or 16, I think, mm -hmm. don't quote me on this, but I'm pretty sure that everywhere in America that is illegal. Um, it's, a, it's just socially, it's, it's it's not right, is it? And it's well, a funny thing, yeah. isn't it? Because, you know, there's always jokes made. I think Ricky Gervais or somebody was making some jokes about like Leonardo DiCaprio. There's always the joke because he's in his 50s and he's always dating. I suppose they're 18. And it, it is like, it, I, I feel a little bit like, oh, is that, why does he want to do that? Um, mm -hmm. You know, I, 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 one time, I don't even know, but he's dating these girls for months and months and you just think something's a bit off. That is, a, that's weird. Yeah, this will surprise people, but I don't know Leo DiCaprio personally. But uh, ah, we've fallen, we've fall, grown apart in in the years since Titanic. Um, yeah, but that that oh, to me is weird. But also, um, what do I say? I don't know. It, it to me, if if he were just celebrities, somehow I won't say they get a pass because they don't. But hmm. they're always weird, so it's not that surprising. <laughs> yeah. But I would say if. If Leonardo DiCaprio were my neighbor and he worked at Domino's Pizza or owned a yeah. franchise of Chipotle or something like that, you can tell I'm hungry, uh, and he was doing this, <laughs> I would be like, yeah, he's a creep and keep the kids away from him and all that stuff. Right. But since he's like a world famous guy that I don't actually know, I'm like, well, you know, he's probably doing it for attention. Also, like, what are, what are you going to do? <laughs> he likes young girls. It's weird. I wouldn't want my daughter around him, but that's probably never going to happen anyway. So who gives a crap? Yeah, imagine you know, if you are like, you know, I don't know who his friends are. Is this, let's say George Clooney, and George Clooney's got an 18-year-old daughter. You'd be like, I, I don't want to go out with Leo and then just right. when my daughter's there. No. Yeah, no, that's that would be weird. I'd be like, hey, don't talk to my daughter mm. if you want to stay friends. And you don't want me to snip off your gonads with a pair of rusty scissors. You know, oh, like, that's I, yeah. that's the kind of... So, yeah, that that's weird when celebrities do it. But also, you realize kids can't... You really do realize like kids can't consent and they shouldn't be able to do so legally. And so guys who are 37 and going after them are predatory and they're criminal and they should be put away. Like there's no kind of if and ifs, ands or buts about it. When I was that age, I didn't get it because I didn't have people trying to come after me that I or at least not that I understood. Not. But when I posed as a female that was like defenseless and young, the amount of guys that were coming after me on America Online was outright terrifying. And so I was really proud to be able to play somewhat of a small role in this. And, and the FBI agent had never even seen this. Now, you'd heard of it. They'd heard of Internet predators and stuff, but they were they didn't even have Internet at home. They probably only had Internet at work. They probably never really used it outside of the work stuff that they had on their own computers. You know, this is, again, mid-90s. These are not – this is Michigan. It's not Silicon Valley. Nobody was using this stuff to talk to other people. They were using it to, like, look up library books or whatever. You know, yeah, so, not, not to mention that people were not as uh, aware that this was happening at all, even outside the internet. I, I think they, they didn't use the word pedophile very often in the 90s. They just said sort of creepy old man and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, maybe. It's awful, the stuff that, that some people got away with. Oof, I had to cut this one there, but we'll continue with the Jordan Harbinger story, including his two kidnappings and more about his advice for new podcasters in a few weeks. I had a ball interviewing Jordan, as well as appearing on his wonderful The Jordan Harbinger Show podcast, which you'll find in all the normal podcast platform places, as well as a link in the show notes. Find him on at Jordan Harbinger on Twitter and Instagram and sign up on patreon.com slash andrew gold to hear his bonus episode on on the edge with andrew gold uh it was a great chat uh there's loads more to hear from jordan he's a fascinating man we could have spoken for hours and hours and it's been a pleasure working with him on both this and his own podcast if you're new to this, perhaps directed here by Jordan, please do subscribe, get in touch with me on Andrew underscore gold on Instagram or Twitter, and please do leave reviews on Apple CastBox or a rating on Spotify on the phone app. They're, they're a bit messy at the moment, but you might be able to leave a little rating. Thanks to uh, reviewer Stuff and Nonsense, who gave five stars in the UK on Apple and wrote, great show. Then Carol G 59 also in the UK, also with five stars on Apple, wrote, never disappointed, loved Carl Zimmer, so interesting, going to unearth my philosophy books now and reread them. I need to buy a pipe and wear a cardigan with patches, lol. This is what I love about this show, how it opens doors in my mind and curiosity to learn more. 
Thank you, Carol G59. I love getting your reviews. I get quite a few of yours. Um, and like I said, I don't know if it gives me an extra uh, like number or if it just replaces your old one. But either way, it's very much appreciated. That's two from the UK, but none this week from other countries. Pull your socks up. Ireland and Australia, Canada, the US and all the other places that you're currently enjoying this episode from. But not really. It's enough for me that you're just listening. Please keep on doing so. Have a lovely whenever this is when this comes out because I'm doing it all a bit in advance at the moment. But I hope you're happy and see you next week whenever that is. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.